Can you hear me? There you go. All right. What I was saying was what a wonderful thing to see and witness and be a part of. Um, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Alyssa Hugo. I serve on the worship team here at Oak Point Canton. And today I am just going to be reading from Matthew verses 14, or chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him into the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, beginning to seek, sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I have here my little bucket, some Christmas lights. And I know what you're thinking. It's not Thanksgiving yet. Why do you have Christmas lights? I have a hard and fast rule about Christmas decor in my house. Anybody uh, a post-Thanksgiving person? All right, that's good. Anybody a pre-Thanksgiving person? You're fine with it as long as it's in November? Repent, all of you! <laughs> I kid. To each their own. But these Christmas lights, so these, I think I'm going to get peer pressured by my family into putting these up again this year. I was trying to think, of, see if I could get the year off, but I don't think it's going to happen. The cool thing about these Christmas lights is that they bring Christmas cheer, right? But there's, a, there's an issue with them. If I just have this here, they're, they're pretty useless. They're pretty meaningless. You have to do something before they bring Christmas cheer. What is it? You got to plug it in. It's pretty simple. You just take something that's, that's got power to it and you plug it into the power source and ooh, it, it becomes beautiful and pretty and, and it brings joy to all of those who see it. That's, that's the idea of Christmas lights, whether they're um, in the right season or in season or out of season. They do the same thing and they bring, they bring beauty to those around them. And it's, it is a cool tradition. It's something that we often do in our, in our culture and sometimes we miss the point, but at the same time, I think pointing people to, to this, the light of Christmas is a beautiful thing. But again, these are useless without their power source, which is going to come into play as we talk about the text that we're in in Matthew this morning, because we all need to be connected to the source of power in order to be useful to our creator. We heard the story that Alyssa just read to us a few moments ago um, as the disciples are crossing 
the Sea of Galilee, and they find themselves in yet another storm. A few weeks ago, several weeks ago, we, we saw another passage where they were in a storm on the boat in the Sea of Galilee. We talked about this already, that the Sea of Galilee is really, it's a basin, and the hot, uh, hot air hits the cold air, and storms kind of kick up out of nowhere. It's, it's known for that, that type of weather pattern. And that happens frequently, and they find themselves in yet another squall. And Jesus does something incredibly miraculous to meet them on the lake, walking on the water. And in a beautiful way, this passage shows us, I think, both the power uh, of Jesus for us and the need of his followers who desperately need the access to that power. And we see that as they're in, in these situations, we see a few things. And I, I want to just point out a handful of practical, I think pretty practical thoughts. Uh, at first, it, they don't seem as practical, but as you break them down, they, impact, they can impact our every single day as we think this through. The first thing that, that I notice in this passage as we work through it is that our faith grows when we are dependent. Our faith grows when we are dependent. The disciples find themselves in a challenging situation out in the middle of the water. There's, there's several layers of this dependence, uh, but they find themselves first and foremost in, in a challenging situation on the water, and they are ready because of that to be dependent on someone outside of themselves. As we think about the overall arc of Scripture, and this, is, this is kind of a big thought, but the, one could argue that the very first sin in Genesis chapter uh, chapter 3, we, we mess it up pretty early on in the story. Uh, the very first sin is us reaching and, and trying for our own control, for our own power, trying to pursue that instead of God. We are told, uh, the, the people were told, Adam and Eve were told by the enemy that they could be their own God. That if they just take this step of disobedience, that they can be their own God. In that moment, they have to make a decision. And what they end up choosing, as we all know, is they choose to step into that space of trying to be their own God, trying to take their independence, trying to be autonomous, not depend on anyone else. That's what they, that's what they do. And ultimately, it's born out of that, that desire for autonomy. And now each one of us has that innate desire within us, that we go through this life struggling for control and struggling for power over our own lives. And the things that happen to us that are most disorienting as we go through life are the things that remind us that we actually have no control. Usually our greatest fears in life are associated with the things that remind us that we have no real control. That in a lot of ways it's an illusion. It's something that we're seeking. It's something that we're pursuing. But at the end of the day, we can't control what's going to happen tomorrow. That's why these families who, who stood up here in, in the front, they're, they're also dedicating their children to the Lord. And as Peter said, they're, they're saying, hey, this is in God's hands. I can't actually do this on my own. And when we recognize that, when we live in the midst of that, then when those, those frightening situations occur, where we see our lack of control, we are less shaken by those when we've already given over control to our Heavenly Father, to our Lord. So it seems like there's three examples, I see three examples of dependence in this, in this passage altogether. Remember, this is all under the idea that our faith grows when we are dependent. So we see dependence modeled or, or shown to us in three different ways. The first one is Jesus depending on the Father. Ba basically, Jesus says, hey, he just had done a huge miracle. He had fed 5,000 uh, men plus women and children, this huge crowd. He fed them, and they were all pretty amazed by this. He sends his disciples across the sea on a boat as soon as he's done with that, and he draws away to spend time alone with his heavenly father. And what's amazing about Jesus is he constantly, 
models the things that he calls us to live into as his followers. He doesn't tell us to do something and then refuse to do it himself. He's not that kind of leader. He continually models, I, I actually can't think of one single thing that he didn't do. He tells us to love our enemies. He's, he's loving his enemies from the cross in ways that we don't, we don't think, you know, that we can never really do, especially on our own power. He models for us continually. So we see him depending on the Father in, the, in these moments leading up to this scene where he's, in a sense to us in the scriptures, modeling to us what this, what this kind of dependence looks like. He looks to the Father constantly through the Gospels to say, where am I to do next? What's my, where am I to go next? And, and you see him recharging after and before big ministry moments. So then he, he walks out on the water. It says in, in Matthew 14, 23a, this, this is what he was doing. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. So that's the first thing. Jesus, depending on the Father, he shows us, we see dependence in this passage there. And the second thing is Jesus deliberately allowing the disciples to find themselves in a moment of struggle, of crisis. He's up on the mountainside. He knows what's going on out on the water. Uh, I've been, I had the opportunity to be um, in the region of the Sea of Galilee. He knows what's happening. When he's looking up there, he can see the water. He may even be able to see the boat. It's a very beautiful place. Um, but he's watching out over the water. It really is in the basin. You can see how the hills come up around it and the sea level. It, it also is changing in, in an even wider way that you can't see from where you're standing. But it, it, he's sitting up on the top of the hill watching them struggle. It says in uh, verses 23, second half, uh, later that night he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So he's watching them enter this moment of crisis where they're going to be open to dependence on something or somebody else. We don't know how bad this storm was. They were, they were more frightened, it seems, in the storm where Jesus was sleeping in the boat, but there's still a storm and they're, still, they're struggling against the waves. The third thing we, place we see dependence is when Jesus invites Peter out of the water. It was Peter's idea, but Jesus says, come on out. And in that moment, Peter realizes something that he, he's in, he's in way over his head, so to speak. He's in trouble. And uh, he, he looks away from Jesus, and that's what ends up getting him in trouble. But he steps out into the water, putting him in a moment of dependence upon his Lord. It says in uh, verse 29, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now we are always, again, seeking our autonomy. And what we see is that autonomy is an enemy of spiritual growth. When we're pursuing just a life that's dependent only on ourselves, it's the enemy of spiritual growth. We need to find a way to recognize our lack of control and to yield to God in those moments. And so for us, that looks like a couple of different things. For one, we, we need to uh, be willing every once in a while to enter the storm, to be in that moment of storm, to be in that moment of trial, that moment of crisis where we recognize we have no control. We also need to be, uh, be willing to jump out of the boat every now and again. Sometimes our, our things that cause us to be, the things in our life that cause us to be dependent on God, sometimes they're outside of our control, but sometimes we put ourselves in those positions. And that's healthy, that's good. When we have those opportunities to take a step out of the boat and do something that we can only do if God is going to be with us in the midst of it. And sometimes he shows up for us just like we're hoping and praying. Sometimes, sometimes it looks a little bit different. But we also always realize in the midst of those times, those seasons, that God is at work and that we need to be more and more dependent upon him. 
So as we walk through life, don't shy away or, or, or flinch at those opportunities for dependence on God. Embrace them. We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks as we've been looking at various miracles. A lot of them have to do with some form of human suffering or trial or difficulty. And as we step into those moments, we learn something that we can't learn from other times in our lives. And so our faith grows when we are dependent on God. Secondly, Jesus is patient with us in our failure. We see this patience in our failure. Here's, here's a little bit of background on this passage. As you, if you read it through Matthew, you, you begin to recognize, if you're paying very close attention, that in, the, in these moments, when, Je- when Jesus and Peter, they get back in the, into the boat, and the whole passage ends with them saying, oh, we truly see you are the son of God, right? They, they start to understand, truly, you are the son of God. Throughout the course of Matthew so far, this reality that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Savior sent by the Father, he is, he's God the Son, this has been recognized a few times, but never by the disciples. We see it recognized by God the Father as, at Jesus' baptism. He speaks out, this is my Son, whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. He speaks out about his Son in that moment. We also see demons in the midst of Jesus' ministry recognize Jesus as the Son of God but we do not see the disciples recognize him as the son of God until this moment. And I think that's kind of amazing. You know, they've been walking with him. Surely they, I mean, they know they left everything to follow him. They know there's something special about him, but it's almost like they didn't, they're not sure what it is. And as we track through the gospels, an interesting lens through which to look at the gospels is to, to try to track what's going on in the disciples' minds. They're not sure. They are figuring things out as time goes on. Certainly they see Jesus as someone willing to follow, willing to listen to, generally willing to obey, someone who's trustworthy, someone who's in many, many ways very special. But they're not sure if he's the son of God, even though they've seen all of these different things. Now they're exclaiming it, and now they're speaking this out. They've seen so many pieces of evidence, but, and they haven't gotten to this point yet. And there's times when Jesus, you can see his frustration, even maybe here with Peter, where, where it's hard to know what exact tone he used when he said, you have little faith. If it was kind of like, oh, you have little faith, or it's like, you have little faith, you know? Like, we don't know exactly what his tone was towards Peter, but his patience is undeniable. His patience with them is undeniable. As they go back and forth, as they decide to follow and then fall, fall away, as they make all these half-hearted decisions. So the disciples are catching on, but slowly. And Jesus is patient with them in failure. And I think what it really comes down to for us is that God takes our sin seriously. He takes our faith seriously. He takes our hearts seriously where we are with him. But he's also patient with us in our growth. He's patient with us in our journey. And I think we need to seek that same approach in our lives. There's absolutely no out given or excuse given for sin or lack of dedication to God. But at the same time, there's a grace that he has on us that sometimes we don't have on ourselves. (laughs) And it depends on which angle you're coming from. All of us who have maybe dealt with kids, whether it's in a classroom or babysitting or aunt or uncle or your own children, whatever it might be, as we raise kids or as we interact with kids and and they make mistakes, we know they're going to make mistakes. That's why we are to be patient with our children as we raise them uh, and patient with other people's children as we interact with them as well. They make mistakes. It's part of what they do. And when they make mistakes, uh, you know, we have a choice on how we're going to handle that, but so does the child. And sometimes a child makes a mistake, maybe they break something or, or, or they do something they know they weren't supposed to do, whatever it might be. Sometimes they approach the parent or adult or authority figure and they are 
filled with remorse. And you can sense it. You can see it. You can see it on their face. They feel bad. They're not just upset because they got caught or because they're going to get in trouble. They truly feel bad about the situation that happened. There are other times where a, a circumstance takes place and what they're really trying to do is deflect. They're trying to avoid blame. They're trying to downplay it, make it seem like not a big deal. And in any of those situations, the response of the parent or adult is going to be altered by the heart and the attitude of the child, right? And so if they come with, with remorse and, and repentance and wanting to, to make it right and to do things differently next time, we sense that. And sometimes our role in that moment is to say, hey, you know what? It's okay. Accidents happen. Next time, let's make a different choice, but we're going we're gonna to move on from this. And you, you tell them that it's okay. Other times when they're coming to you and they're trying to tell you why it's okay, you say, here's why it's not okay. Here's what we need to do differently, what we need to do differently here and where we need to be better. And we change, we change that narrative a little bit. All the time, it should be filled with grace and love and the gospel message, which is that we can't do it on our own anyway, and we point them to Jesus. But at the same time, in the midst of those, we're going to respond differently based on the heart of the child. Sometimes we need to uh, help them see the depth of, their, of the wrongdoing. Like we need to see the depth of our sin. Other times, when they're already recognizing that, we, we can skip to that next part of giving the grace. And so it, Jesus is patient with us, especially when we come to him, realizing our imperfection, realizing that we're falling short. Other times, maybe we need reminders that, that, this, is, that this is serious and that he does want our whole hearts. So regardless, he is patient with us. So we, we need to be patient with ourselves, but also we need to be patient with other people. And we see this um, play out in the, in the life and ministry of Jesus. There's times where, there's a time where the disciples are like, should we call down fire from heaven? And she's like, no, what are you talking about? I've come to bring grace to this place. And sometimes we can go through life being like, should we call down fire upon this group of people or upon that person who disagrees with me, in my opinion, on this area or whatever it might be? And sometimes the person that we're thinking of or the group of people we're thinking, maybe they're just, they're just dead wrong. But God still says, approach this circumstance with love and with grace. And be patient with people. Because every single one of us are imperfect. I think the third thing and the takeaway, uh, I think really the heart of this passage that we see through the, the lens of Peter, is that our main task is to keep our eyes on Jesus. He voluntarily enters that that challenge, even at an even greater level of the dependence than the rest of the disciples were experiencing in that moment, or at least sensing the need for dependence in that moment. And uh, just like the disciples in this story and in others, we are going to face unique challenges in our lives, things that will challenge us in different ways in keeping our eyes on Jesus. Every season of life has a challenge that's a little bit different in this, in this realm. What I, what I mean by that, for example, is that sometimes we'll go through difficult seasons. And what Peter's stepping out to, we could probably most easily equate to a difficult season. He's stepping out of this, at least somewhat safety of the boat in the storm and stepping out into the waves and into the water where there's no safety net. And he's following Jesus and walking on the water, a very miraculous thing, hard for us to imagine and see even play out in, in our minds. But, but what we know happened in that moment, that he stepped out on the water and was able to walk on the water while he was locked in with Jesus. So he took that moment. So sometimes we go through difficulties. We are in situations where God needs to come through for us. And uh, our faith can be tested in those moments. 
It can be a difficult moment. It, there can be challenges around those moments. And what challenges us there is that our eyes sometimes move off of our Lord and move on to our problems. And our faith is shaken because we're seeing how big the obstacle is in our way. But there are other types of challenges that come in our lives in the seasons that are good. Sometimes we think, oh, well, when we're in a season of blessing, it's a lot easier to trust and follow God. But that's not always the case. There's a, there's a different inherent risk or, or challenge to our faith when we're in good times of blessing and ease. And that is that we start to feel that we don't need God. This is this question of dependence. We start to think, maybe I don't need God to come through for me. And in those seasons, our main task is still to keep our eyes on Jesus. We see this concept throughout the scriptures. We see Jesus warn people about wealth. He said it's, it's impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He ends that teaching by saying all things are possible through Christ. All things are possible through him. We, we just need to depend on him. It's impossible for anyone to enter the kingdom of God on their own power. But there is a unique challenge for wealthy people to enter the kingdom of God. And by global and historic standards, just about everyone here in this room is probably considered a wealthy person. We have access to things people never did in the centuries before. And in, in uh, first century uh, Galilee, we'd all be pretty wealthy based on what we experience now. And he says we need to be careful because we start to feel like we can depend on ourselves. We see this even back to the Old Testament. Just, just two chapters removed from the Shema that I read during the child dedication, there's a passage that's titled in my Bible uh, over, the, over the chapter, Do Not Forget the Lord, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Do not forget the Lord. And this is Moses challenging the people. He says, He, God, humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. He's talking about when they were wandering in the desert. Which neither knew your, nor your ancestors had known. To teach you that mankind does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. He's saying God was giving you opportunity to depend on him during that season of wandering in the desert. And he was providing for you. He was humbling you. And then when we fast forward a little bit in the passage, he says, when you have eaten, because they're about to go into the promised land. They're, they're preparing for that moment. When you have eaten, when you are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving to you this day. Otherwise, here it is, when you eat and you're satisfied, when you build fine houses and you settle down, when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and your gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then, and here's the risk in the good times, then your heart will become proud. You will forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That he led you through vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. That he brought water out of the hard rock. That he gave you manna to eat in the wilderness. You may say to yourself, verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the, th and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Whose power? My power. That's the risk. When we're in a good time, we start to think my power has done this. Verse 18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, 
and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is to this day. So there's, there's a, a different type of, of danger that comes in the good seasons. That each season, whether good or bad, whether easy or difficult, whether filled with plenty or with want, we have the same challenge before us, which is to fix our eyes and keep them fixed on Jesus. Good times and in bad times. So in the bad times, we often we see our need and we cry out to God. But again, sometimes we suffer from the Peter effect. Our eyes divert from the solution to the problem, from, from, the, uh, fr- from, our, from our Savior. They divert to the things that threaten us, to threaten to uh, pull us away. So we take our eyes off of him, we begin to sink. That's what can ultimately happen. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says it this way. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In all seasons, we are powerless without being plugged in, without being connected to our Savior, to the vine, to the source of power in our lives. There are times when we start to think, wow, look what I'm able to do. (laughs) Or there are times when we face difficulty and we're looking at him and we're like, I'm not sure if he's able to do it. But in all of those seasons, we're called to keep our eyes focused on him, remaining in him, abiding in him, keeping our connection and our dependence on him. If there's one thing that we need to remember, I think out of today's text, is that idea of dependence. There's a lot of things you could pull from this scene of Jesus walking on the water, inviting Peter out. But I think one, one thing that, that is at the center of it is the power of our Savior. And another thing that goes right hand in hand with it is the powerlessness of us as people and the dependence that we ought to have upon him, just like the disciples in this moment, like Peter needed to have. And as soon as his eyes shifted, that power went away. So how do we keep our power on him? our power coming through him and connected to his power by making space in our lives to be in his presence, to hear his voice through time in his word, through time in prayer, through silence, solitude, simplicity. Most of us today, we just do not even have the space in our lives for a moment of quiet, for a moment of reflection. We get cluttered, our lives get cluttered, our lives get busy, and then what ends up happening is the most important stuff can fall by the wayside. So we need to carve out that time. Maybe your life is busy right now and that's unavoidable. That's okay. You just need to carve out that time. Slow down as much as you can and carve out that time to be with him. So make space in our lives through his word, through prayer, through silence, solitude, even simplicity and community, authentic community in pursuing Christ. It helps us to stay plugged in with him. And here's the cool thing. When we do that, when we are able to stay connected to our power source. And this is my favorite part about Christmas lights. They light up, they're beautiful when they're connected to the power source, but there's another thing that happens. And the hint is even in what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 15 when he says, you need to remain in me. You need to remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But when you remain in me, your, li- your life will be fruitful. Because here's what happens. You, you have this beautiful Christmas lights that you can display, that, that spread cheer, that do, that do the task that they were created to do when they're plugged in. But then here's the other cool feature of them. You can take this end, right? And there can be another, 
another Christmas light strand that's not fulfilling its purpose, and because of the power that we have, that we're connected with, and that we're remaining in, we can be a power source for another person, to, for them to see Christ through us and be able to connect to our Savior as well and start to live in to their purpose. He makes us fruitful. He empowers our living. So it's not just about us. It becomes about somebody else as well. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you that we can depend on you and that you will, that you will come through for us. That even we can't see, even when we don't fully understand, even when we're seeking to depend on ourselves, that you are re- there ready and waiting, that you're patient with us, that you invite us home. And that you are seeking and that you are desiring to empower our living. Lord, help us to know what it looks like to live in a way that's more dependent on you. We are, in, in a sense, discipled, trained up by our culture to depend only on ourselves. And few things are more damaging. Maybe nothing is more damaging in our relationship with you than trying to be self-sufficient. Lord, it's been drawing your creation away from you since day one. We want to break out of that. Help us to see our need for you. Whether we're, we're a season of plenty or a season of want, help us to recognize our need to know that our need is not going to be met through our own talent, through our own treasure, through any person, but our needs will be met only in you. That you will empower us. That you will draw us to yourself. That you will make us productive for your kingdom. That you can do this, all this through our lives and so much more. Help us to make the space, Lord, to hear you, to lean on you, to depend on you. Help us to abide in you, remain in you, and therefore to be fruitful. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for your word. We pray that you would use us in Jesus' name.